today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth here at Cincinnati Business Talk Radio and Sandler Training in Cincinnati. Today is going to be an unusual show. We're going to be dealing with some old and some new Sandler topics. And before we jump into things, I figured I'd uh, tell our listeners about who's going to be on the, uh, the next shows. Next week, Friday afternoon, we're going to have Blake uh, Roberts uh, Salehauer, the uh, CEO of Janet King of Cincinnati. Uh, the following week, we're going to have Manette Yelsuk. He is the CEO of Profeti von Mele. Uh, they are a candy manufacturer best known for their airheads and mentos. And he's, he and I are going to be talking about authentic leadership. The following week, we have Jen Beck, who's going to be talking about managing stress in food. Following that, we're scheduled to have Dick Burdick from uh, Burdick Brothers Trucking. And after that, we're going to have Mike Sorrow, whose company, uh, Capture, K-A-P-T-U-R-E, has a new device to record the last 30 seconds and download it into your uh, phone or computer, an audio recording, a recording device. Uh, some of the things that are coming up here at Sandler, uh, there are still a few seats available for the uh, April, I'm sorry, July 23rd, uh, seminars in Columbus, Ohio, uh, on leadership, leadership, transforming leaders, the Sandler way, uh, with our book's author, uh, Dave Arch, and Dave is going to uh, be running two three-hour seminars, uh, taking you through all 52 lessons of transforming leaders. Each person will leave with a copy of the book and a deck of leadership playing cards. Here in Cincinnati on Wednesday, the 16th of July, we have a one-day cold call camp uh, that's designed to teach the methods to get by gatekeepers, 
build three dynamite scripts for the prospect, the real contact, and five ways to break other people's voicemail to make them call you back. And the last uh, two hours of that day, we're going to actually make telephone calls, record them, and debrief them. Uh, that's a great day. If you're making telephone cold calls, uh, which actually does work. Uh, on July 14th, we're going to start our next segment, set of segments on Sandler Foundations. They will run Mondays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. for eight weeks. Let's see. We have a great program coming up uh, in August uh, on risk preparedness. And we have uh, another CEO coming up, coming in, Anthony Casablanca from Rotex, a, uh, I like to call it a mining machine company. So those are just some of the things in addition to our regular programming, uh, which we do on Mondays and Fridays. Uh, I'm hoping that we have uh, Evan Poland, one of the authors of the new Sandler book on professional organizations for how professionals should become better at becoming rainmakers. Or another way to put it, when I was in college, they never told me I had to sell. This course is designed for, this book and course are designed for lawyers, accountants, architects, uh, CPAs, and other professionals. What I think I'd like to do um, is read uh, a short segment of one of the new Sandler books. This book is called Lead When You Dance, the 14 Success Secrets for Sales Managers and for Sales People. It's from sales managers for sales managers. Uh, for sales managers, how to avoid the most common hiring mistakes. I think we've all made the mistakes as sales managers. We we interview someone who sounds like Tom Cruise on the interview and the first day on the job. You discover you have Pee Wee Herman. Uh, most sales managers can't afford even one non-productive sales team member. Today we're going to talk about how to avoid costly hiring mistakes and errors and how to develop some interviewing strategies that will help you make the right choice the first time. I think the first thing to remember as a sales manager is uh, you never see a bad resume. Uh, That's the, the problem. But the resume never gives the really true picture of the person 
that it's representing. Uh, the interviewing process, the hiring process, the firing process are are all quite important. In fact, I believe in telling a sales applicant what's it going to take up front to get fired. But let me deal with some of the uh, critical mistakes first. Mistake number one, uh, failing to develop a strong upfront contract between the sales manager or owner and the applicant. Uh, most uh, poor sales presentations and many interviews with prospective salespeople wander all over the ballpark. As the parties get deeper and deeper into the interview, the air of mutual mystification prevails. The applicant believes that he's doing everything he can by answering all the posed questions, but has little idea of what's happening to him when the interview is over. At the conclusion of the interview, it's common to hear exchanges such as, uh, well, George, do you think you'd like working here? Well, I, I do have a few more interviews. Or, uh, thanks for seeing me, Mr. Smith. Thank you, Maria. We'll be in touch. In other words, there's, there's no real finish. Nothing definite was accomplished. In too many interviews, the result is mutual mystification. In order to turn those unproductive sessions into meaningful interviews, begin by discussing and developing a clear upfront contract with the applicant. Your upfront, your upfront contract should include at least these three elements. A, the amount of time that you're going to be asking questions. Then you're going to have a period of time allocated so the applicant can ask you questions. Third, a decision by the candidate at the end of the interview. There is no, I want to think it over. It's either a yes or a no. Uh, the following illustrates what an exchange of upfront contracts might sound like. George, here's what I'd like to, for us to accomplish this morning. First, I'm going to ask you several questions in order to help me find out if you're the kind of person we're looking for. Second, I'd like you to ask me the questions which will help you decide whether or not this is the opportunity that you're looking for. And third, and most important, when we've completed the interview, I would like you to decide if you'd like to come to work for me, assuming that I were to offer you a job. Can you handle that? The second the last question actually leads to the second most common mistake made during the interviewing process. Mistake number two, failing to get a final decision from the applicant. It's vitally important that the interviewee, the person being interviewed, makes a definite yes or no decision at the end of the interview. One of the things we want to uncover during the interview is the internal sentencing the, the individual has about making decisions to explain if people tend to be empathetic with others on their own belief system and salespeople take time reaching decisions tend to develop a, tend to develop a case of customer empathy when prospects say I need to think it over internally or consciously uh, more often unconsciously the sales person says I can understand that when they say I need to think it over. Uh, 
uh, I think it's vital for great salespeople to be able to make decisions. Their empathy lies on the side of the sale, not on the side of the prospect. A highly successful salesperson is analogous to a hitman. That example may seem extreme, but follow it out. Hitmen concern themselves with the job at hand, not with how they feel about the job. If our hitman took the time to explain to his victim how sorry he felt about what was about to happen, he would soon be chasing his target down the street. The point is, you may as well find out now before you invest more time, money, and energy in this new salesperson that is someone who's going to be empathetic to all those prospects and need a little bit more time, or you're hiring someone who will regularly, and we mean it's in, in its most positive sense, go for the kill, make the close. It's mistake number three, failing to tell, tell it like it is. Another common error made during the interview process is overselling the job by the sales manager, sometimes the company owner. In their eagerness to fill the vacancy, the tendency on the part of many managers is to overstate the opportunity. Uh, it's common to hear things like, you'll make a fortune here, Joan, or this is the best opportunity you're ever going to see, Frank. Maybe she will, and maybe she won't, but the real world seldom turns out that way. The problem is the person being interviewed wants to believe these assessments. When someone is hungry, everything looks appetizing, especially cake. Once the rep is hired and is fed, reality sets in. Chances are you'll be faced with more than you're bargaining for from your new hire. Motivation problems, missed car payments, marital difficulties, uh, fears that all come out of the woodwork. Sometimes a new salesperson quits in the third or fourth week. As a sales manager, most of you probably face those kinds of situations. Uh, you don't want to have more crises like that occur. Mistake number four, failing to match the individual's abilities to the job. Does the job appear too easy based on the candidate's previous experience? Is that candidate overqualified? Does the job appear too hard for the candidate's previous experience? Have they worked in the same types of industry? The types of industry I mean are commodity sales, which is everyone knows what the product is. There's a short lead time. It's relatively speaking inexpensive. An account sales position where you're selling to a specific set of accounts that have bought from your company before you're supposed to sell them more at a higher price and occasionally even to steal one of the accounts of a competitor. Third type of selling is what we call unique value. That's where every sale is custom engineered. Now, there's going to be a long early time here. It might be six months. It might be 18 months. This is going to be custom engineering, even if you're selling a simple product like ball bearings. Uh, the cruise line that buys ball bearings for the engines in their ship 
is certainly a different type of specification and customer than General Electric, who's buying ball bearings for their jet engines. The ship company, the cruise line, they really demand salt water resistant bearings. While General Electric, for their jet engines, they may feel that salt water resistance is totally unnecessary since if the jet engine is in salt water, it's no longer really a jet engine. Uh, mistake number five. Oh, the fourth uh, type of salesperson is a consultative salesperson. This is the type of salesperson uh, that is usually paid a rather significant salary. The selling time cycle is anywhere from 18 months to three years. At the beginning of the selling cycle, uh, the prospect doesn't know what he's going to buy, and the salesperson doesn't know exactly what it is that he's going to sell. Uh, so if you're attempting to match a job, which is a commodity sales job, with a consultative salesperson, you've probably got an awful mismatch. You probably have a situation where the salesperson won't last. Let's uh, take a moment and uh, listen to Jimmy Fox talk about Tip Club, the networking group here in Cincinnati that I sponsor. The next Tip Club meeting is July 17th. That's Thursday morning from 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. Jimmy, why don't you take it away? Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth, and I'm talking about the 10 mistakes that sales managers make in hiring people. Mistake number six, failing to consider how this individual will interface with other members of your group. 
not only salespeople, but customer service people. How well will this person fit? Or will they not fit at all? Mistake number seven, failing to conduct the interview personally. Uh, a few times I've heard sales managers or owners tell me, well, we, we interview this potential sales candidate with three or four people in the company. Uh, but it's that owner or, or, or manager, real vice president of sales that's got to live with them. You can't skip the interview. In the interview, there are some things that are subtle to judge. But did this person dress appropriately for your type of customer? Uh, does the salesperson go face-to-face with prospects? If so, did he have good eye contact with you? Was the salesperson appropriately assertive or was he or she aggressive or even worse, wimpy? Uh, is the salesperson much more interested in the commission and bonus arrangements than in benefits? A good salesperson wants to know that they can earn good money for a good job. Some types of sales people are attracted by benefits. They're usually not the top producers. Mistake number eight, failing to consider the individual's needs. Uh, Does the job you're asking the new salesperson to do to perform satisfactorily fit a psychology as well as physical needs? If the answer is no, it's not a good hire. Uh, For instance, uh, tougher jobs to fill our uh, sales jobs we used to call roadies, where they're going to be on the road three weeks a month or more. Uh, Don't underestimate that when talking to prospective salespeople. Mistake number nine, failing to hire the real applicant. Correcting the eight interviewing mistakes will undoubtedly save you time and money, maybe even some energy. However, mistake number nine, not interviewing the real applicant, is putting the icing on the cake. Sales managers who spend a great deal of their time interviewing sales applicants quickly learn that those people rarely ask the real questions up front. Let's look how the right questions can get you to uncover who the real candidate is. Sophisticated interviewers use Sandler's rule of three plus while interviewing salespeople. That is, it generally takes three or more questions on a given topic to penetrate the applicant's defenses. Here's the effect uh, of the rule of three plus on a sales applicant you're interviewing. First question on topic X or whatever X happens to be. It could be selling to a corporate uh, C-suites. You're going to elicit an intellectual or safe response. The second question on topic X will also elicit intellectual safe responses. Your third question on topic X will penetrate the applicant's natural defenses and your chances of getting an emotionally true response are much greater. This means you must allocate enough time and effort to get the right answer. In The Wolf of Wall Street, there's a great scene where Gordon throws a pen to someone else and says, sell me the pen. 
A great salesman should be able to do that. What would a great Sandler answer be to that question, sell me the pen? It could be. Why do you want a pen? If that qu- if a question like that isn't in your interview, it really needs to be. If you're hiring for a sales position. And I said number there, there are 10. This is your bonus. If you really want to find out how good the salesperson was, at the end of the interview, after they tell you they want the job, you say, in all cases, it was a good interview, thanks for coming in, but I don't think you have the capabilities to handle the job. And wait. See what happens. If they don't fight you on this one, you probably don't want to hire them. The top 10% of salespeople will come back and say you're probably making a serious mistake. I am the best guy or I am the best lady because that's the one that I want to hire. That's the one that I want my clients to send to me to training because that's the one that's going to do two, three, four hundred percent of sales objective. That's the one that's going to be the most efficient. For my listeners, we have Chuck Poland uh, from the Philadelphia area in Sandler, and he and his son Evan have written the new book on uh, the Sandler selling system for professionals, attorneys, accountants, lawyers, architects, and engineers. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. How long have you been a Sandler trainer? Uh, we just uh, hit our 20th anniversary uh, about a week ago. Okay. So you guys have been in the business for a long time. And how many years have you been working on the book? Probably about uh, nine months now. Nine months. Okay. And what the title of your book is? Well, the, the title is The Sandler Way of Selling Professional Services. Uh, the author title is Nobody Ever Told Me I'd Have to Sell which comes from a comment I... And how long have you been working on the book? Really started uh, by accident just after our first year with Sandler. Uh, we had a financial uh, planner who came to us and let us know that client was a managing partner of a law firm. He wanted to retire and unfortunately realized that he was about 80 to 90% of the firm's business and would not be able to retire unless somehow he could teach his attorneys how to generate some business. And that's, that's how we got started. Mm, okay. Now, if you would tell everyone... Uh, eight to ten times a week from our clients. Perhaps you could uh, give our listeners uh, an outline of the book with uh, professionals, lawyers, accountants, architects, engineers. The book is divided into two parts. The first part is the uh, biggest issue with a lot of our clients, which is how do they go about getting in front of new potential clients and it really describes all calls and most of our other professionals, uh, the accountants, the engineers, the architects, a lot of construction people, just aren't comfortable making them either. Uh, so it becomes uh, how, do, how do they do that rate some business? And that's, that's how we got started. Mm, okay. Now, if you would tell everyone again what the title of your book is. Well, the, the title is Sandler Way of Selling Perfection. And what the book outlines is specifically how they can 
network more effectively, how they can set up strategic alliances, how they can create a 30-second commercial business services. Uh, the author title is Nobody Ever Told Me I'd Have to Sell, which comes from a comment I hear about uh, eight to ten times a week from our clients. Mm -hmm. We've heard it a lot from uh, from our professional clients here in Cincinnati as well. Differentiate them from the other 22,000 people that do exactly what they do. So the first half of the book really details how they can do that in a way that's comfortable for them, gives them uh, in that first half of the book. The book is divided into two parts. The first part is the uh, biggest issue with a lot of our clients, which Probably 25 to 30 concrete examples of how other folks in their world have used that is how do they go about getting in front of new potential clients. And it really describes because uh, for lawyers in particular, they're not allowed to make cold calls. And most of our other professionals, uh, the accountants, the engineer, and frankly, the second half of the book is pure Sandler, how the submarine is utilized, how it fits for them. And again, specific stories and case studies of how people use an upfront contract, uh, how they're able to get paid. There's the architect, a lot of construction people just aren't comfortable making them either. So it becomes how do, how do they do that? And what the book outlines is specifically how they can have the budget decision step that's so important and how they can utilize it in their world. Because a lot of people try and use Sandler situationally. And what the book is trying to show them that you know, this is a process that needs to be used all the time uh, with every clerk more effectively, how they can set up strategic alliances, how they can create a 30-second commercial that differentiates them from the other 22,000 people that do exactly what they do. That's good. Uh, the book was released last week at the Sandler Conference, and I came home with uh, two copies of it. We had uh, three President's Club meetings this week, and... At the first meeting, Chuck, you'd be happy to know that w one of my professionals in the class, you know, threw 40 bucks at me and said, Mike, I'm going home with that book. <laughs> and at the second class, the same thing happened. So until my order of the books show up here, we're, we're in the sold-out condition. Uh, is, is the uh, – go ahead. The book will be available uh, on Amazon, both uh, with every conversion and electronic version, right around July 1st. There is already a landing page on Amazon, and they call it a wish list. We actually got a call from Amazon this morning saying, hey, we have a lot of my folks on this wish list. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what it's all about, and why are we getting all these requests on this wish list? Basically, we never heard of you. How did this come about? So, so far, I would say that uh, the response has been pretty good, and hopefully for your clients, Mike, it's a practical how-to, so they understand that what you're teaching them applies on an everyday basis. But frankly, also, potential clients understand where they don't think they're salespeople. It's kind of a surprise to me that the book won't be available till about July 1st, but we have our order in here for the training center, and if people want to order through Amazon, that's... Uh, Chuck, when, when you talk to uh, professionals... What kind of problems are they indicating to you that they have in the world of becoming rainmakers in their firm? Probably the biggest issue, Mike, is what I would call a comfort zone issue. They just never saw themselves in that role when they were hired. That wasn't part of the job description. Uh, so that's 
potential. Uh, mm-hmm. The other piece is nobody ever has taught them how to do this. When they went to law school, when they studied accounting exams, uh, when they became engineers, there were no business development classes. Was, uh, kind of a, a surprise to me that the book won't be available till about July 1st. Uh, but we have our order in here for the training center, and if people want to uh, order through Amazon, uh, that, that's so they're usually pretty bright people, but they mm-hmm. usually take what they learned and apply it in what they do, and frankly, never, nobody ever taught them how to do it. Right. So, so the prospecting piece in particular is difficult. Uh, Chuck, when, when you talk to uh, professionals, what kind of problems are they indicating to you that they have in the world of becoming rainmakers? And part- them, they just never thought they'd have to do that. And when they were hired, they just thought the business would come in. They never really thought they'd have to go out and get it. Right. And they have to meet, they have to meet with and talk to other professionals. They just never saw themselves in that role when they were hired. That wasn't part of the job description. So that And members of the lay community who don't know their profession. Uh, and they have to be convinced to hire the professional. Well, and the other thing that happens, uh, it's like one piece of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece is nobody ever has taught them how to do this. When they went to law school, when they studied accounting exams, uh, when they became engineers, there were no business development class, any networking event that you go to where there are multiple attorneys and multiple accountants. Uh, we did a program a couple weeks ago uh, for uh, one of the... Uh, larger school. So they're usually pretty bright people, but they mm-hmm. usually take what they learned and apply it in what they do, and frankly, never, nobody ever taught them how to do it. So, right. so the prospecting piece in particular is difficult consulting firms that, that's worldwide, and we actually took uh, a little hand camera into a networking event that they were at with uh, their competition, and uh, we uh, filmed them giving this to them they just never thought they'd have to do that. And when they were hired, they just thought the business would come in. They never really thought they'd have to go out and get it. Right. And they have to meet, they have to meet with and talk to other professionals. Uh, commercials. And then the program, we showed them, they and their competition, we basically said, tell me the difference between you have four major competitors. Tell us the difference between the four of you. Here's what you all sound like. And they all... Well, and the other thing that happens, uh, it's picked down and it's exactly the same. You could not mm. tell the difference. That's one of the right. things that they have to learn how to do when they're in public. Everybody's their attorney, but they're, you know, 25 different kinds of attorney. That happens at, what, at these chamber award uh, meetings, or I saw this at a rotary meeting yesterday. There's an accountant sitting next to an attorney, and there's a room full of 100 other people who would be great prospects for both of them. So they're, they're passing on the prospects and doing what's easy. And I think that's normal because it's comfortable, and they don't like talking to other people. We have a saying with accountants, typically, they're good with everybody but people. <laughs> well, we have a few aliens from Alpha Centauri here in town, so that, that makes it a little easier that in Cincinnati. But, you know, when an accounting firm buys 10 seats uh, at an awards banquet, and all ten seats at the same table are set up. Yeah, now it's exactly the same way, and 
one of the things we go into in the book, and that I'm sure you do in your class as well, is the fact that, number one, they should never uh, affirm we did this year. Uh, we're in Philadelphia, uh, and our team's probably worse than yours this year. But we have folks that have season tickets for the Do you see that the same way? Yeah, now it's exactly the same way. And one of the things we go into in the book, and that I'm sure you do in your class as well, is the fact that, number one, they should never leave. And we mm-hmm. had to measure how much new business came in last year as a result of those seats. And they realized that there were a lot of family, friends, and existing clients using the box that they paid with food close dollars for last year. And this year we had them send a letter out to their top clients basically saying, here's what we're going to do this year. We're going to get club box seats to any game you want. Please let us know what games you want to go to and the good clients. And just like we do in an executive briefing, your clients are going to be your best salespeople. So why wouldn't I put two prospects next to two happy clients at a table in an event like that? Sure. And uh, we're going to save about $800,000 on that venue this year and probably end up doing more business because now if their folks want to bring a potential client, they have to say why instead of just filling the box with family and friends. And, and they just don't think of that. Um, yeah, we had a case study with a, uh, uh, a firm we did this year for our training program. You're saying 800000 for the season box of the Phillies. Yes. 24 seats, food, booze for every game, 81 games. That's what it comes to. Wow, those are big numbers. Uh, really big numbers. One of the suggestions that we've made for our clients here is that when you're going to an awards banquet and you uh, want to take 10 members of your firm, buy two tables of 10 and take each member aside and say, you can come and bring a guest someone who we're not already doing business with. So we get well, an even... that's a good idea, and that's something they can measure. One of the things we like to do with that is actually have them keep score of... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to get, take you to a, a current business trip, talk about something that's in the book that, that's applicable. Uh, here in the Cincinnati marketplace, we've noticed over the last uh, six months a tremendous number of accounting firms merging with one another. What would you think a, a smart CEO, managing di- director of the merged firm should do in that environment? Well, we have, uh, I just left, I had a, uh, a one o'clock appointment uh, with one of my clients uh, who was a local accounting firm with 125 accounts, and they merged, and we had done some work for BDO in the Philadelphia area, as well as this other accounter, uh, what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Firm. Uh, they merged. Now we're doing business with a larger entity. And the biggest thing in that firm uh, would be what we call cross-selling, which in this case would involve not only audits, they have a consulting piece, and uh, they also have a, an aspect that does some financial planning. What we've been able to do for them is show them how to cross-sell and measure that uh, because it's typically in most Small and medium-sized firms do tax and audit. They don't know really how to cross-sell those, and uh, it's a lot cheaper than going out and finding new clients for both practices is to cross-sell internal, that to sit down and with the client and figure out what problems they solve. And the accounting firms as a whole, they're so focused on the particular practice, they don't look at the learning. What problems overall does the client have? 
sure makes a lot of sense. Um, typically, and most small and medium-sized firms do tax and audit. They don't know really how to cross-sell those, and uh, it's a lot cheaper than going out and finding new clients for both practices is to cross-sell internally. Look, uh, in your book, uh, what do you think uh, in, that you put in the book is the biggest uh, set of mistakes that uh, professionals make in, in the world of being rainmakers? Uh, uh, and figure out, again, at Sandler we teach that to sit down and with the client and figure out what problems they solve. And the accounting firm as a whole is one that we see all the time where the firm goes in and in the first five minutes says, and it's very difficult, let me show you what we can do for you. Let us tell you who we are and how we work and how we can help your issue, which is what problems overall does the client have and being able to do that in a cross-selling mode, uh, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. makes a lot of sense. That's good. Chuck, before I, I let you go, perhaps you could uh, give uh, our professionals who are listening uh, one strong tip. Well, my first tip would be you could listen more effectively and understand that Tony Show, uh, and this is in the book, you probably already have a strong client base. Uh, a metric that we use for our professional service firms is for uh, 25 would be percent of your new clients every year should come from your old clients. So that's either referrals or doing additional problem solving for them. So their business should be right in front of them, and they shouldn't have to work so hard or cross. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> So uh, past that, I would say uh, if you could listen more effectively and understand that think so hard, just use those natural assets that they have already. Good. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. And now, uh, Thanks for having me. Lots of good luck. And again, uh, and this is in the book, for the book, I would have them see you first. Good. They can call us over here at the Sales Training Center at 513-753-9400, and we can take care of them for the book. Again, thanks. Have a great weekend, Bye. my friend. Thank you. Bye. You take care. Bye-bye. So that was Chuck Poland uh, talking about his uh, new book on professional selling. Again, I wanted to thank uh, Chuck Poland for uh, calling in to talk about the new book that we'll we'll have here in a week or so. We will be taking orders, and uh, I think it's going to be one of the more popular Sandler books. That's why we've ordered a big supply of them. We were talking about what Chuck called in, secrets of success for sales managers. Uh, I think one of the, the biggest secrets of a sales manager is at the time of hire, each new salesperson should be told what they have to do to get fired. So they know the ground rules of the game. Some of the book that I've been reading from today, the book is called Lead When You Dance, is available here at uh, Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Again, if you want to get your own copy of it as a sales manager or owner, you can call us at 753-9400. Either stop by and pick up a copy and sit through one of our training sessions, uh, or we can mail it out to you. Uh, 
One of the things that a sales manager has to do is motivate their salespeople. And uh, most sales managers don't know how to motivate salespeople uh, except with a whip or money. And uh, that, that isn't the, those aren't the only methods that motivate people. Some people are motivated by relationships. Some people are motivated by a mere title change. Uh, some people are motivated by achievement. Uh, having that sales board up in the office that shows all the salespeople and showing who's on top, who's got the most sales for the month, who's got the most sales for the year. Uh, these types of things uh, motivate people. And, and sometimes that motivation for recognition and achievement is stronger than the, uh, the motivation for money. Uh, as a sales manager, company owner, um, I think you have to know the competition and have a, comp- a competitive library. Uh, and you really need to know, and you may have to do a little bit of research of, of how customers perceive your company in relation to the competition in the overall marketplace. How do you position yourself? How do other people position you? Uh, and I'm going to, you know, just take a second and talk about something else that's new at Sandler. That's the Sandler Enterprise Selling System. This is a brand new six-step selling system for enterprise customers. Uh, one of the issues that we had in doing the analysis of, of where we were being positioned as Sandler Selling is we were being positioned as tactical relative to our competitors, not strategic. So our new selling system, accompanied by 12 brand new tools, uh, is positioned so that we can be viewed by the marketplace, by the, our largest prospects, as both a tactical and strategic sales business development company, which we've always been, but the new system lays it all out in black and white, on paper, in our selling system with long-term positive reinforcement, a dramatic improvement for Sandler in terms of positioning in the marketplace of enterprise selling. I did want to get back and uh, mention about the Frank Wood program on thriving with stress. Frank's program, which we're going to do in the latter half of July and the first part of August uh, on Thursday afternoons, is a four-part program designed to allow you and your salespeople to thrive in the moments of stress by making them make the right psychological and logical choices. If you listen carefully to the uh, shows that we've done with Frank Wood, you'll be able to hear at least one example. But this is four weeks, long-term positive reinforcement. Uh, It's not terribly expensive, but it's highly effective. Frank has been doing this program in uh, large corporate environments for chief operating officers, chief financial officers, uh, CEOs for the past two years. So it's got a long proven track history of success. Success in dealing with stress makes us make better decisions and perform better in our jobs, whether that's a salesperson, company owner, uh, or chief financial officer. 
what I think we want to do now is we're going to listen to another short Sandler commercial. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. If you're a salesperson or a company owner, my message is critical for you. Today, I want to talk to you about the real secret of getting out of debt. Earn more money. Most salespeople and owners want to sell more at a higher price with better margins, but don't know how. I've helped hundreds of people and companies grow over 30% per year by making an investment in themselves. Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. I'm not for everyone. I'm tough, expensive, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want results, we need to talk. Call me at 513-753-9400, extension 102. Give me your toughest questions. Then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513-753-9400, extension 102. This is Mike Roth. I thought I'd tell a, um, a couple of uh, short anecdotal stories. Uh, the first one is a, a company owner in a sales business where salespeople are regularly paid 100% commission. And he hired a person who was terribly familiar with the business, lots of years of experience, who was on the buying side of the desk as opposed to the selling side of the desk. And he wanted to convert him into a salesperson on 100% commission. And uh, after he hired him, he puts him into the Sandler training program. And here we have a man who, who has many years of experience in a salary type of a job or salary type of a bonus job. Uh, it only took about a month after he took the job with, with my client to turn around and find another job that paid a salary because he was so uncomfortable about being on a 100% commission. It takes a different kind of uh, person. So if, a, if, someone, if you're hiring for a 100% commission sales job and the person's never been on a 100% commission before, you better find out how he's going to handle a bad week or a bad month. Because people who truly know they know how to sell want to be on 100% commission. People who aren't sure about it will bail out, which is what happened. Uh, scenario number two, since we have time, is a new salesperson, new to the company and industry, uh, desperately in need of sales training. And when they go, he goes to the boss and says, boss, I'd like to uh, meet with Sandler and get involved with the program, the boss says, why don't you wait three to six months? I'm going to leave it to you folks, the listeners, to figure out what's really going on. If someone wants to call in and talk about it, uh, the call-in number is 646-595-4916. Uh, in my opinion, when a sales rep gets in that kind of position where they recognize that they have a need to get better in sales, and their boss says, why don't you uh, wait six months? By the time six months is up, 
one of three things will happen. They'll accidentally have become a fantastic success, so they don't need it. Hmm. That's probably a 3% case. Case number two is they've fallen far behind their quarter, their sales quarter, their objectives, their profit uh, margin objectives. And at that point, it's hopeless. They can't be saved in the job. And there are some sales jobs, uh, I'm not saying all of them, where salespeople are, are put out to be what they used to call cannon fodder, to be the ones up at the front line. And it's the guy in the back office who's going to reap the clients that the new guys and ladies can bring in. Uh, used to be an endemic in certain financial services companies. Uh, but if you're ever in that kind of a position where you know you want to be better in sales and your boss says, wait, Usually that means, A, you're on a very short leash. B, the company may not have the capability to deliver that which you've sold. Well, something else is seriously wrong. But if you're in the position and you want to dramatically grow sales, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call me. Mike Roth, 513-646. Six five two three. I hope you enjoyed today's show. It was a a little bit different than we normally do, and uh, again, I want to thank Chuck Poland for uh, for calling in. And uh, next week, we're going to have uh, Blake Roberts Stillmeyer from Janiking Scott. Why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.